0: meaning to talk to people about uh well it's like specific people and it is uh black christianity mm. the conundrum that i've had for a long time and also like i mean i myself am uh, latinx and so like why have we embraced the colonizer's religion
1: this is something i think about a lot too. I read um, Malcolm X is by any means necessary, and he, <laughs> okay, very radical in ways that um, people don't necessarily realize. Like he was technically a segregationist; like mm-hmm. he believed that black and white people should be separate. But what he believed mm-hmm. was that black people should have the same exact resources that white people do, and so that that kind of comes into play um, a little bit. But he he was very um, adamant about um, Islam and Muslim and black people were, you know, traditionally Islam. Mm. And why did we drift away from it whenever we were brought um, to the Americas, brought, Mm. dragged, whatever you (laughs) want to call it, taken forcefully, obviously. Um, But. Yeah. So for me, I'm half black. Um, mom's white, dad's black. Um, and my dad was never, never religious. Like I never, Mm -hmm. never saw that man pray, never heard him talk about going to church. I don't even know if I've ever seen him in a church. (laughs) Um, but my, my sister, my older sister, she's, she's my half sibling. Um, we have the same dad. I would go, um, to her with church a couple, a couple times. Um, and the last time I, I ever like, Went to church and was like a part of it was for a Christmas thing that I did with her. Um, I played the saxophone and she played the trumpet and we played, I think have yourself a merry little Christmas. And like it was beautiful. Like we did we did a really good job, especially like I didn't really play the saxophone like that. So I was really proud of myself. But we had like little old ladies like crying while we were playing. I was like, oh, that's so cute. But um yeah, um recently a lot of the Julius Jones stuff was, um, centered around Christianity. His family was very religious. Um, Reverend CC C. Davis Jones or Jones Davis. I always get the names mm-hmm. backed up, but she, um, she's done a lot with that coalition. And like I said, she's a reverend. And so, um, attending all those events, there was definitely a very holy aura around it. Like, and it, it felt necessary and practical because, mm-hmm we're fighting for this man's life. And like, it's literally up to the state if this man lives or dies, which is. It's it's like such a crude thought. Like what? Like, that's literally insane Like you're going to murder somebody because they murdered somebody like uh, an eye for an eye. We learned that that's, that doesn't ever work out. So why are we still practicing it in our government? But um, I went to, I think it was Tabernacle Baptist church on the East side And, um, it was after one of the pardon and parole board hearings and we were kind of just all, it was basically, it was church. It was literally just church with, um, a bunch of different activists there. And, um, the way that they handled the way that they were just like talking about everything, um, very inclusive to, um, the queer community as well. So whenever I, I saw that, I was like, wow, this is like a, this is that new Christianity. Like we're inclusive. Like we're not turning anybody away for any reason. Like that, like if there's going to be Christianity, like that's a good, that's a good form of it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of black people accepting Christianity as, you know, our main form of like religion, I think it's, I think it's really because we're a lot of black people in the United States still live in the South Mm -hmm. and the South is heavy on Christianity. Um, and even though it was sort of used against um, us for a long time, we sort of found a way to make it our own. Like Black Christianity is so different from white Christianity. And not um, in like the super obvious way. My stomach is growling. <laughs> not in like the super obvious way um, of, you know, just like we believe this we believe that just the the emotion behind it and the way that they interact with one another Mm -hmm. um white churches just feel so like you gotta do the right thing you gotta do the right thing right now like you no room for mistakes like can't Mm -hmm. say the wrong thing but black churches there's a there's a little bit more grace like obviously there's still some things that you shouldn't say at church but um they're they're more open to having difficult dialogue about um, the role Christianity, Christianity plays in the suppression of certain groups. So yeah, it's been interesting um, sort of looking at that aspect of it, but yeah, religion is wild.
0: Yeah. Well, cause I've been, I've been doing l- lately for maybe even like the past year or something. I've been sort of analyzing what like, i am and where like my roots are but also like what the connotations are of just like colonization or just decolonization and so the for the longest time i've just been like i'm not really like hispanic like not not culturally anyways that i don't i don't behave or like have any of the like cultural touchstones that like anyone would expect of someone that is embedded in that culture um and I actually had a a guest on the podcast sort of be like hey that's actually like harmful to yourself to like say that and like it took me a while to like understand like what that meant And so I I really had to break it down to myself and while I still don't necessarily like embrace like the cultural touchstones that would make me Hispanic. um, I also uh, acknowledge that I am regardless of whatever it is that I do or take part in. And so Uh, I think that was one of the bigger things is that like, no, my music is Venezuelan American, regardless of if it sounds like it. (laughs) Um, but then thinking of like colonization further of like the, like I have a lot of like native American, American North and South, uh, Like my, on my dad's side, like his grandmother was straight up like indigenous, like they lived in the forest, like, (laughs) or in the jungle, actually, because I was born in Venezuela. Um, And so like, we, like, I have that sort of direct route to indigenous, but it's like, why are we Catholic?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Catholicism is 100% just a product of colonization mm-hmm. like they they really force it upon everybody in South America this is a little like still on the same topic but a little just like quick question so do you prefer Hispanic or Latinx what do you think is the the difference
0: I personally don't care <laughs> I <love that>. um, <laughs> uh, it's actually the same with pronouns I don't care about my own pronouns um but since other people lately seem to prefer Latinx so I say that uh sometimes Hispanic comes out because I don't have to say a weird sounding word one weird thing that like of being bilingual is that I've always been self-conscious about changing accent in the middle of a sentence and so i tell people my name is santiago ramones that's like the anglicized version of saying my name my name is santiago andres ramones machado but it's really weird to just like flip that and it's like surprising and like then people have questions so
2: (laughs) yeah well, it's,
1: it's code switching which like a lot of people we think about that mostly with um Black people in white spaces or sometimes white people in black spaces, which Mm -hmm. is like, if you're a white person hanging with black people, you don't need to use AAVE in order to seem cool. Like if you're a good person and you're down for the cause, then you don't need to front about who you are, where you come from. Um, But in terms for black people and definitely people like you, bilingual and Mm -hmm. somebody like me who's mixed. And um, we're just we're used to being a part of two very drastically different cultures Mm -hmm. and sort of going from one to the other can it can feel hard for sometimes like you want to you want to fit into the group that you're with. Mm -hmm. So you kind of do what's necessary with it. Mm -hmm. Certain situations I'm all like formal and I've got to say big words and fancy things. Mm -hmm. And then whenever things are a little bit more relaxed, I like. I go back to the to, to normal Anna and I'm <laughs> and I'm chill again. But um yeah, def- code switching is it's so real and it's sort of like um a survival tactic. Yeah. Which is it's it's unfortunate for sure, but um yeah, people just need to be aware of Code switching for people who are either bilingual, biracial, multiracial, or just straight up, you know, another race from whoever they're around is vastly different from a white person who's code switching in order to seem cool to whichever group they're with.
0: Yeah, I, I've never really like, I mean, my perspective of my own life using code switching has sort of just been like, I guess you could listen to uh, my like immigration episode thing, because that was like uh episode 275, which recently had an update. So listen to that one. Uh <laughs> but like the Yeah, it is sort of like a survival thing, but also of like the because I grew up undocumented, I had sort of had to like tone down the fact that I am not from here so that I don't gather unwanted
1: attention oh yeah and that's that's a whole other scary thing it's literally a form of survival Mm -hmm. for for lots of people which is oh that's so sad that you had Mm -hmm. to do that like it's it's unbelievably heartbreaking um but it's it's the harsh reality that Mm -hmm. a lot of people face
0: um but with that like i don't know i i also have like little attachment to like cultural norms at all in a weird way because like uh i yeah i'm also not catholic i'm not uh religious at all uh and so the like the disavowal of religion and then the disavowal of like because of in a way like code switching trying to fit in uh i like let go of everything a long time ago and so uh it's kind of nice to be able to go like well i like this thing and i don't like that thing so i just don't have to take the things that i don't like out of the everything (laughs) and so uh the obviously the values of catholicism are probably still inside me but like you know the like i've learned to tone down the like or suppress the homophobia that has been so embedded in uh that culture and and that's actually something that uh even going back to like the colonizer religion sort of thing is that our indigenous cultures uh were way more or are way more open to anything else but that has been lost to time and colonization and so the yeah the exploration for me of like finding out what I am but also not necessarily even like holding on to it because it's like all right well I have a lot of like Spanish and European in my background as well and it's like I know what those are because that has been embedded in this culture as well um but like what can i take out of all of the things that i like and don't like and so i don't know i i feel like the the survival mechanism to to an extent makes sense of like hey if you don't become catholic we will kill you and so it's like all right cool yeah jesus my homie like (laughs) yeah i've heard of him we go way back (laughs) um and then yeah just over time it's like we're all catholic because like our parents were catholic and then it just kind of keeps going but like the uh my wife and i just uh recently watched a, a everyone should watch this show uh maya and the three uh it's an animated netflix show uh the creator is mexican and like he put a lot of like uh Inca, Maya, Aztec, like stuff into it to where it's not just like Mexican culture, but right. it's it's like indigenous culture, oh, cool. yeah. um, of like South American indigenous culture, um, and that is really cool to embrace because it's like these are the parts of ourselves that have been lost to colonization. Oh
1: yeah, one hundred percent. Whenever I turned eighteen, um so i always knew like half of my lineage because like white people can my mom could tell me like everybody going back so far and my my dad never even like i don't know my great grandfather's name like i don't i don't know these things um so i did like the dna thing because last name's little john so everyone's like are you indigenous and i was like i don't know (laughs) so i looked it up no not at all little john even though it sounds indigenous is um It's very European. It Mm -hmm. literally just comes from like little John. Like if there were two Johns and one was smaller than the other, he was the little John. So that's where the last name comes from. But whenever I did that, like found out a lot of my, you know, African lineage comes from Nigeria and Cameroon. And then I'm also Jewish, like just a Mm -hmm. little bit of Jewish. I was like, wow, didn't know that. That's where the nose comes from. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was super cool because I had always, I'd always thought that, you know, I could maybe be indigenous, but there is no way to know. And then DNA testing became like big and popular and everyone was sending off their spit to get tested. So I was like, yeah, I might as well. And, um, it, it was, it was really cool to, to find out, you know, different places that, um, I have ancestry from, but also the thing with Ancestry DNA is it straight up showed me the slave route that my ancestors took from like Virginia down through Louisiana then Texas, Arkansas and Oklahoma. I was like, "Yep, they probably walked that too." Um and that like while it's um it's it's I wouldn't I don't even want to say it's cool to know because <laughs> it's not cool. It's not fucking cool that that happened. But it is it it's definitely the most emotional part of like finding out my ancestry. It's like we were just chilling in Africa, just having a great time. And then somebody came over and either like just straight up kidnapped them or persuaded them and promised them something that wasn't the truth in order to get them to come over here. And then just everything that happened to them along the way throughout the years that got us up until the present. Um, Yeah, it's, 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 it's very emotional, and like it's it makes you mad, but mm-hmm. like it it's weird because like it makes you so mad that it happened, but it makes you like happy to know mm-hmm. at least like where you came from, how you got here, how your people got here mm-hmm. um yeah it was it was truly wild to see that still think about it all the time,
0: yeah, and I mean yeah, we have a history (laughs) and not all of it is going to be pretty. And so the, in a weird way, like it doesn't have to be like traumatic because it's like, we are here now. Um, And I mean, yes, we still feel the generational effects of like being kept out as a community for generations, (laughs) but like, it's good to know that like this is where we came from and but again like utilizing the aspects of it that we do like and utilizing aspects of it that we don't like because there is still a lot of like internalized like homophobia and internalized like racism that is embedded in these cultures um and so as the future generation ourselves we get to decide what traumas we like we want to perpetuate or not yeah. hopefully none but
1: <laughs> uh, i think the the main i don't even want to say the main thing so this is like about um i guess the queer community and the black community and black queer people mm. so as a black non-binary person um in oklahoma mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's not a lot of us there are we are here don't get it twisted we're here but there's not very many of us and so when having these conversations about like black with black elders about like my pronouns, they, them, I only do they, them. If you do she, her, I'm like, who dat, mm-hmm. who are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Not me. Um, so sort of like explaining this to black elders. They, some of them are like, no, I don't understand. I don't ever want to understand. Like, no. And then some of them are like, okay, I could see this. And then they start to, you know, connect pieces and other people in their life who, you know, you know, could potentially be non-binary, but haven't necessarily done discovering about themselves enough. Um, or, you know, really about what being non-binary actually is and how it's really not, you know, anything. It's not this major commitment that you're making, like gender is a binary and you can choose to be a part of it or not. Um, and so, um, sort of, teaching the black elders about, you know, the queer black youth and how they need to feel and how you need to accept them. Um, is, is, it's really hard, but it's a, it's incredibly rewarding. I, I started this piece. I never posted it. I just realized that I never published Mm -hmm. it, but it's called the radical act of being black and non-binary. And in it, I, I sort of just, it's kind of like an open letter that I wrote to parents of queer black youth and how, yeah, they might want to go by a different pronoun. They might want to change their name and then they might even change their mind. They might go back, they might change it to something else again, but it's, it's not your job to judge them for that. It's not your job to tell them that they're not allowed to do that. It's your job to accept them as they are. And if they change something, then you have to accept that too. Mm -hmm. Because, people can always change who they are, but they can never change who their parents are. Mm-hmm. And if you as a parent aren't there for your kids like that, then they're not going to feel like anybody is there for them. So yeah, it's, it's an open letter that I wrote that I'm going to get out probably someday. I might even wait till pride <laughs> because I, I can do that. But, um, yeah, it's, I assume it's, it's fairly similar in the Latin X community. I don't, I don't know a lot about that. Um, but I assume there are definitely strong comparisons.
0: Yeah. Um, And, and that again, sort of this conversation being rooted in like how Christianity has sort of colonized our culture in that, like, yeah, that, uh, unwillingness to accept just a different perspective is just like these very strict rules that, uh, have been imposed on us yeah. rather than we willingly accept them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also kind of went down this train of thought, uh, whenever I like discovered Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like one of my favorite, do I say band groups, whatever, uh, is, uh, clipping.
1: Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So good. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: And so, like, yeah, Splendor and Misery is, like, just, hey, this is an example of Afrofuturism. Like, what's Afrofuturism? And it's like, hey, look, Black Panther and, like, I mean, going all the way back to, like, Sun Ra and stuff. But, like, Afrofuturism is a beautiful expression of not just, like, decolonization, but even, like, a what if as though there was no colonization. And it's, it's beautiful to see that. And I love that and embrace it. And it like made me be like, what is uh, indigenous futurism? Like what, what would that look like? And so I don't know if uh, there's been enough opportunity for like that to like be made. And I, I know that like people are probably like finding ways of doing that. But like, you know, the Afrofuturism itself is like, of niche thing yeah
1: and i like that you use that term for it um because a lot of the times black people have like one of the things that we deal with is like no matter what music we make white people for some reason love to like throw r&b on there it's like it does this, this is not r&b like zoe kravitz um her project lola wolf it like on itunes for the longest it was like r and i'm like this is no like what like that's not what this is at all and then SZA is now but whenever she started her music was it was very it was very different her first like album I can't remember what it's called but the not um Control but the one before that um was very is very different from Control like Control she got um you know really into the r&b she kind of settled into it but before that that's not really the music that she was doing and people still called it that and um that's that's just it's a weird thing that um always happens to black people is like before we can even say what we are somebody has already put us into a box Mm -hmm. and so yeah i love the afrofuturism label for it because like that's that's so broad and it's way more s- specific than just the RB. it's like i love that that's so good
0: yeah well like the other weird thing is like afrofuturism is more of like a content genre yeah. rather than like a just sonic music. genre right. and so like yeah the movie black panther is afrofuturism right. and so like for people to think about like oh yeah the the what if question of what if these cultures had been allowed to thrive?
1: Right. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. And,
0: and so it's a really cool thing to explore and then to celebrate, um, outside of colonization.
1: Right. And even with like Black Panther, as an example, um, in the story is like, the reason they were able to thrive is because they kept themselves a secret. Like, Mm like, the world didn't know about what was going on there. They didn't know that they had all these like technological advancements because they kept it to themselves because I know I didn't read the comics. um, But I assume they, that they knew that if they did that, then they would be overexploited. Their resources would be drained and then they'd be left with nothing. Essentially how Africa is now, Um, which is great. So sad about Chadwick. And I know that they're talking about replacing him um are trying to they're trying to decide if they want to like get a different person or if they i don't know what they want but we definitely deserve more than just the one movie (laughs) oh my gosh like it it was it was truly groundbreaking to go see that in theaters and it's like you know little black boys there in the movies and they get to like see a superhero who just who looks like them Mm -hmm. and like not even it's not even just the the protagonist it's also the antagonist and not saying that, you know, little boys want to grow up to be like rotten little kids, but (laughs) they get both aspects of it. Like, it's not just one, like Mm -hmm. typically whenever black people are in superhero movies, it's just the one. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it it was so beautiful to see. And like, I I cried in the theater just because like, I knew how much that this meant to the culture. So. (sighs) I love it. So good. A celebration. Yeah. Outside of colonization. And the album is amazing too. It's like Kendrick (laughs) didn't need to go that hard, but we thank him for it. (laughs) Even though only two songs were actually in the movie. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs)
0: Um, But I mean, and again, I'm sort of looking for what that looks like for uh, indigenous. And it's interesting. Like this aspect of it is because like, uh, it's not something that people really talk about, but, like, uh, Latinx is indigenous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and for some reason, we have a distinction uh, because Spain,
1: <laughs> because I guess. Spain, right. <laughs> and then Portugal did a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah. not as good of a job as Spain.
0: <laughs> and so, like... You know, uh, there's Native Americans here in the U.S. who, like, yeah, probably do have some, like, yeah, indigenous and white mixture in there, but, like, they're still considered Native American. But, like, Latinx is the same thing,
2: Yeah.
0: but we're, like, a separate ethnicity for some reason.
1: And then also the Afro Latinx where it's Mm -hmm. people who are descendants of both indigenous and enslaved peoples. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, they don't, they definitely don't get a lot of attention and there's so many things like this that white people don't realize, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they see Brown people and they just immediately like without even sometimes without even realizing it, they just throw them in a box already. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, boxes don't need to exist. And if they do exist, they're not meant to be, closed like that at least in this scenario so Mm. and
0: then just like the concept of indigenous actually just applies to everywhere so something that i was talking to my wife about is that like there are cultures that didn't experience colonization um and so we can look at asian culture Mm. and like chinese like the chinese empire goes all the way back
1: yeah all the way (laughs) But they're, like, the colonizers of Asia, so. Sure. <laughs> we see you, China. We know what you did.
0: Well, I mean. This okay. <laughs> is Singapore. Genghis Khan did a number on that as well, so. <laughs> but, like, the. We're able to, like, look at that culture all the way back. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to look at European culture all the way back. Like, Anglo-Saxons mm-hmm. are indigenous to Europe. Right. So, like they are indigenous people, but like not in the way that we want to put in a box nowadays.
1: Uh, (laughs) We're still just like colonizers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, And then like people that live in Africa are indigenous to Africa. And like the people who remained there
1: are all the way indigenous. Yeah. Indigenous has, it's like, it's like a hot term over here in the Americas. like, um, and it's it's definitely new that we've started actually calling them indigenous, <laughs> like at least for, you know, the U.S., like for the longest they were the Indians and it's like, but they say India. And so they're like, OK, Native Americans <laughs> It's like, OK, but we're not honoring that they were the Native Americans. And so it's indigenous has kind of, you know, become the, the main acceptable term. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's really gone all over the place here which is sad. And especially in Oklahoma, we have so many different, um, tribes, so many different cultures, and they've all kind of had to do the work themselves to reestablish. Like a lot of things got lost. And so they had to do a lot of digging, a lot of exploring and, um, you know, work to get it back to where it is. I have a couple of friends who have done work with, um, the Potawatomi tribe and, um, in terms of tribes, it's a relatively, you know, white one. There's a lot, there's a lot of assimilation that happened within that tribe. Um, But I have a friend who works in Shawnee with the tribe and they, they've written children's books in like the language and they've, they've done amazing work to learn the language and to teach it to the youth, which I I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, But it's also sad that it got lost for so long and that people didn't, they didn't know about it and they didn't they didn't have the connection to their culture for, you know, whatever reason. They didn't even know that they belonged to that culture. So it's it is it's beautiful that um, we're starting to recognize indigenous people a little bit better mm-hmm. um, with FAM opening up. What is it? The First Americans Museum, mm-hmm. which was under construction for like decades, yeah, like <laughs> a ridiculously long time. There was a lot, a lot of issues going on with like funding and all that jazz. But it's open now. I haven't, I haven't been able to go yet, but I've heard it's absolutely beautiful. So mm-hmm. everyone, yeah, everyone needs to go at some point.
0: Yeah, there's, and I, I think it, all of this sort of traces back to like just history at all, and so to to dig into one's own culture or one's own heritage means that you are looking back at history. And so it's like, yeah, for, uh, black people, you do have to like see the slave trade happen in your history. Um, but like the, the cool thing about it is that like, there's so much in there that like, was achieved that hopefully we can resurface again and like yeah. see that like, hey, the, you know, the Mayas or Aztecs building fucking pyramids that like align with the stars
1: yeah. is insane. Right. <laughs> they loved it, though. And they were so good at it. Like, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Um I think the the, the craziest thing about um, African heritage in the U.S., it's like. Kwanzaa where it's Christmas time, and so um Kwanzaa is just it's funny because it's literally like an American made holiday um by American black people because we we felt like we needed something like we wanted we wanted to learn how to like celebrate our culture um in the same way that, you know white Christianity has kind of been celebrated through Christmas like all Which the white Santas also
0: yeah because uh, <laughs> well, I mean, If you go to that too, it's like, well, Christmas itself is just a whitewashing, not even whitewashing, a Christian washing of what was a pagan celebration. Exactly. And so you can look at the placement in the year of where these holidays happen and like see why that is and why the like imagery is what it is. Right. And so (laughs) like... Christmas is all snowy and stuff. Why is that? Cuz like Jesus was born like in the desert and right. so like what does that have to do with anything? And i was like, well, it's because it's a pagan celebration that had to do with like snuggling together for warmth because yeah. yay, we're surviving the winter. And <laughs> even the whole
1: uh like Easter, like he he was dead for 3 days and then he came back. And that's just really like a reflection of the sun because for three days, the last three days of the year, the sun stays in the exact same spot. And then it starts to move back in the direction that it had came. And so it's, it's like literally Easter and the story of like Jesus's resurrection is literally just like a mirror image of like what actually happens in our solar system or on our planet at the end of every year. Right. Well, Christianity takes over. Yeah. But,
0: (laughs) and but that's the thing it's like it's it's also just like the next thing like empires rise and fall and so like that's just the one that has lasted during our time which yeah has been a long time um and it is just kind of like random like it could have been anything else it could have been islam
1: yeah and i just love that it's like it's 2021 ad (laughs) after death of jesus christ it's like even our years are based on literally christianity which is absolutely wild and they don't really i don't want to say they don't deserve it (laughs) but um they don't deserve it (laughs) it's well it's
0: all random and arbitrary and so like the kind of going back to my earlier point that like there are things in every culture that we can just take what we want and take what we don't or like leave what we don't want. And so like, it's cool to like, yeah, these are the things even in indigenous cultures that Mm -hmm. I like, but like, I don't have to necessarily keep the like blood sacrifices that come from like Mm the, yeah cool like thanks for building the pyramids those are super cool and that science is like top notch but also maybe don't want the blood sacrifices
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that though yeah um, at least for me like growing up half and half it's like literally just whenever you, you're you as much in both cultures equally you you kind of don't really see you don't really notice how different things are mm. because it's just, you just know that there's like kind of two different ways to do things and neither is right or wrong. It's just, you're just exposed to both. And so both are just an option. Um, but yeah, but when you live in a community that is predominantly one over the other, one obviously takes, you know, precedent. But um, yeah, it was, it was, really kind of wild to like think that I was a white person for a long time because it's true I really did I didn't I didn't know I didn't know I was black it's it's truly insane um but when I did I was like oh okay now things are making sense like my family like we do things differently like whenever the whole families get together like it's a way different situation like whenever we would have like you know big parties on the black side of my family and then parties on the white side of my family. It's like parties with the white side of my family, we're all there on time. But whenever it's the black side of my family, it's like, my sister is going to be there like two hours late. Like my dad's going to, you know, be doing something for like 30 minutes before he actually comes down and like greets everybody. And yeah, it's just like different, you know, kind of like um, cultural cues, I guess, Mm -hmm. that come into play. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. I really, I really, I do enjoy the mixed experience. I know that sounds weird, but it's like, I, I feel like I'm able to combat issues better because, um, even though, um, I am black, I still, I kind of, understand why white people think the way they do if they're like super racist about something i'm not <laughs> saying it's okay i'm just saying that like i can mentally map out how they got to that conclusion i'm gonna call them out on it and i might cuss their ass out for it mm-hmm. but um i i feel like it it helps me kind of like open the dialogue a little bit because it's like i'm a black person who grew up in a white community and um if you're saying something like this because because about black people like black people do this black people do that it's like well I mean I didn't because I didn't grow up in that community I grew up in your community so oh yeah America it truly is a melting pot which is like a terrible term for it I never really liked that term but yeah it's it's wild but beautiful
0: yeah well it's I think it's a a cool thing to be able to just embrace all of it um and that's the hard part is like being able to embrace all of it and not being like persecuted (laughs) for doing so um and i don't know it's difficult in some ways to like have to explain like your trauma to someone or just like generational trauma or even just like what systemic racism is and like what this whole thing means and then is it even my job to even explain this to you so uh a, a topic that like came to mind earlier is just like white activism on behalf of um and like i appreciate the help but also uh just, I don't know, like, shut up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I practice a lot of caution, um, when I'm interacting with white people who assert themselves in black spaces, I'm not saying that they all have like ulterior motives or whatever, but, um, I'm just saying like, well, why is this affecting you so heavy? Like, I, I'm glad that you are down for the cause, but, why (laughs) why because like we as black people we know why we're there as brown people we know why we're there it's like this is our lives we're fighting for ourselves but um white people who kind of like sort of propel themselves to the forefront of these issues um some of them think that they're doing the right thing they're like i'm using my privilege i'm like putting I'm like using my white voice in order to help those black and brown. It's like, okay, but did you think that maybe the voice that you're using could have been, you know, given to somebody else who has the exact same like thoughts as you do, but is just a person of color.
2: Mm.
1: That as well. And yeah, um, I'm not saying that every white person is out there to like, you know, get notoriety and attention and all that stuff. But um, just, yeah, I just... I want them to be aware of, yeah, you are using your privilege, but you're, you're, you're using your privilege. Mm -hmm. Like give your, like, come on, use your privilege to give somebody else a privilege. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just if, if you've got something to say and you know, a black person has the same thought, let them say it first. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, Which I guess a, a thing that we mentioned before recording, but like, There's a lot of uh, white dude musicians, which is not a bad thing in itself. Um, But like the rest of us are out here and uh, it would be nice to like be recognized as such that like we are all here. And that's a little bit of what I'm trying to do with the podcast
1: yeah and you're doing a great job Mm -hmm. honestly when I was in the street carts I was the only femme and I was the only um person of color and it was like I loved the street carts like I loved the music we make I I loved playing the shows but um as being somebody who was very obviously like visually different than everybody else that was in the group I was always just like the eyes are on me they're looking at me like Mm -hmm. they're trying to they're they're expecting something from me or they're going to try to put me in a box. It's like, I'm always trying to prepare for that. And then with Burl Jordan, the front man, he's, he's also Latinx. Mm. So it's like, we got two Brown people in this group. And there's also technically six people total. So it's like, we're already a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more places to look, but, um, I don't feel as much, um, of an oddity as I did in the street carts. And I'm not saying that like, you know, I didn't, you know, like the street carts. I, I, I didn't like that experience of being in a band with just, you know, three white dudes, but, um, it, it definitely helps to not be the only like minority in a group. Like you feel like, um, your voice is more heard, I guess, mm-hmm. because, um, they're a little bit more aware of those things in ways that, um, you know, a group that's just white dudes, probably Mm -hmm. isn't um something that i dealt with a lot even at acm is i would say something and then like nobody would like respond to it and then like seconds mere seconds later a white dude would say the exact same Mm -hmm. thing verbatim that i said Mm -hmm. and then somebody would be like that's a great idea it's like that was my idea and this happens all the time that is one of my biggest pet peeves i hate it it's it's, it's so bad. So, and like, look a little bit, my fault, like I could be a little bit more brave and like say things out loud, but also as like a, you know, a femme person in a male dominated industry, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't necessarily, you know, have that much, like you got to have major confidence to be able to do that. And like, while I did meet some amazingly like nice people, like, like we met at ACM and you were amazing. You're so nice. But then there were, there were some people that, um, were not just like about like a recording technique, like a way that, a way that I did something that, um, this white dude didn't agree with. He was like, why would you even do that? That's so dumb. Like, why would you even like waste your time doing that? it's like, why would you even waste your time time trying to tell somebody that something that they're doing creatively is wrong or dumb? Mm-hmm. It's like in certain contexts you could be like, "Well, there's an easier way to get that outcome that you that you're doing without having to do as much work." Like there's so many ways to say things in a way that is encouraging mm-hmm. and informative and helpful other than just like, "Why are you doing that? Why are you making that decision? Like that's so dumb." Like that oh, that was, that was, like, hurtful and, like, hard to deal with, and, like, that guy was not a friend, like, I'm not gonna call him a friend, and then even, um, having, like, um, race conversations with different, um, white dudes from ACM, I remember I had a conversation, um, with a few because they wanted to say the n-word, like, in rap songs, I was, like, um, no. And they're like, well, why? They already said it like I can say it. And I'm like, no. And I even had this one friend who was like, I have as much privilege as a black man because my hair is long. And I was like, You can cut your hair though. Black men can't can't change the color of their skin. Yeah. It's not, it's not the same thing at all. And yeah, it's it it was truly in like wild to to like experience and have those conversations but ultimately I feel like they did stop saying the n-word in rap songs at least whenever I was around (laughs) but um yeah it was it was a crazy experience there
0: um I'm formulating this thought uh is that we as people of color have a very different experience with rules
1: mm, yeah <laughs> yeah we do like we have to follow the rules to a t mm-hmm. or we're punished um essentially
0: or we're like not good enough or whatever that right. is. and yeah. so uh we're never able to uh enforce the rules or challenge the rules um and we're yeah we're never going to be in a position of power that like allows us to even change those rules so like it's while we're we just have to follow them um versus like white people have a tendency to to be able to challenge rules and change rules and so the one of the best things that i learned out of acm and then even further into my master's is that like rules aren't real
1: oh no not at all especially no not especially not with music (laughs) like all (laughs) rules are fake and the um my boyfriend he's a white dude um it's something that i i've been trying to be a little bit better at because like i i try not to get in trouble like i i try (laughs) my hardest not to get in trouble so um I play by the rules in a, not, not every single rule. I do break rules. Don't get it twisted. But I play by the rules in a way that will um, keep me out of trouble, essentially. Like I'm I'm very safe when it comes to like driving places. Oklahoma City is one of the deadliest places for Black people in terms of interactions with the police. And so there's sometimes well where he'll be driving and um, he'll do something that I won't do in the car because i'm like they'll see me they'll get me (laughs) and um i'll be like hey don't do that and i'll be like no it's fine it's fine it's fine i'm like okay but you need to realize that your experience with the police is vastly different from mine my brother and i in february of this year a white lady called the police on us because i got out of the car and she was parked on the line and my door tapped her door Mm -hmm. and she called the police on us like and that's the second time that the police have been called on like me and somebody in my family. And the other time was whenever um, my nephew at his own house crawled under his garage because he accidentally locked the front door behind him and he left the garage door cracked because he did that from time to time. He was a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. So he crawled under, and this lady down the street thought it was a dude breaking in and called the police. And I'm like, this is a 12-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> like that it it's just like I those situations are terrifying. Like, luckily, um, earlier this year, I had spent a lot of time interacting with the police over last year. So I knew, I knew what was going to happen and I knew how to interact with them. Um, so they showed up and my brother was like, the police are coming. Like, we can't leave. We have to, we have to stay. He was like freaking out. And I was like, you don't need to talk. I'm the one who tapped her door. You don't have to say anything. So you're just going to sit there. You're going to keep your hands on the steering wheel. And we're just going to tell them what they need to know and so we were in my hometown um we went there because I had to get a new car mine had gotten totaled so my brother drove me up there and I I called her mom and she she worked in the school district so she had she knows some of the cops and so she pulled up and they're like do I know you she's like yeah probably I'm counselor at the ninth grade center they're like oh Miss Marr and so like (laughs) our white mother (laughs) Uh literally like was a cushion there like and this the lady whenever she called the police she straight up told them on the phone that me and my brother were black and that she was a white lady which is something the police do not need to know <laughs> absolutely do not need to know and then they got there and they're like yeah you didn't do anything wrong or illegal she was just freaking out and she was crazy so she's gonna leave first wait a few minutes and then you guys can leave too and it was yeah luckily the cops that came were super understanding super chill they were apparently well versed in their Karen um mm-hmm. <laughs> stories and they knew what to expect but it was it was truly wild it's like if we didn't get cops that you know were understanding or cops that were in a bad mood like who knows what could have happened yeah so and that's that's a wager
0: that we can't make.
1: Right. (laughs) So yeah, whenever I'm like in a car with a a white person who's driving and we're, especially in this city, like, and they do something that, you know, I wouldn't do. I'm like, Hey, for my, for my peace of mind, can we, can we please try to not do that tonight? Especially if it's like a weekend, it's super late at night, the cops are already looking for somebody. I try to practice as much caution as possible. So, but I also, um, I kind of let it get the best of me sometimes because I'm so scared mm-hmm. of like getting arrested. Like the County jail here is not the place to be. <laughs> there's roaches, there's mold, there's bed bugs. Somebody dies there literally every single month. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly, truly disgusting. It's like as close to hell as you can get without leaving the state. Um, So I, I, <laughs> I try to, you know, like maybe like, put that anxiety, like push it down a little bit and like realize that like not every situation where you would get pulled over would warrant you getting arrested. Mm -hmm. So there, there are times to be concerned, cautious, and then there are times to not be as concerned or cautious. And, um, yeah, just like learning that and pushing like my, my fear of the police as a black person a little bit down because having white people around does help. I hate to say it, but like my boyfriend's been pulled over so many times. He got pulled over the other week going like 85 and a 60. And I was just like, he, he got a ticket and they like, like bumped it down for him too and everything. But it's, it's, there's so many situations like that, that like it's, it's hard to see how that would go differently or how it could go the same if it were, you know, my brother or my sister like my oldest brother literally went to jail for a year because he couldn't pay child support Mm -hmm. like would that happen to a white dude Mm -hmm. that easily for a year and a half like Mm -hmm. who who's to really know who's to say but (laughs) we're just always hyper aware of these things yeah
0: uh i grew up undocumented and so uh going to college, like commuting, because I went to UCO and uh, later at ACM. Um yeah. I like I I just drive the speed limit. Like right. there is no the other exact option. speed
1: limit. Cruise control <laughs> and everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um because like it's it's one thing to like oh get pulled over and like pay a ticket. It's like, oh I don't have the money to pay a ticket. And like that's that's a, a class struggle that anyone can share in. But like also like hey if i get pulled over like who's to say they like run my not id and (laughs) like at the time and so like the yeah interaction with police equals i could get deported
1: yeah yeah that's (laughs) terrifying yeah nobody needs to live in fear like that like I, I hate that the like slogan for the police is uh, like to protect and serve. It's like, <laughs> where's the protection? Like the protection only comes after a crime has been committed. And then it's not truly protection at that point. Cause it didn't prevent anything from happening, but yeah, like getting pulled over as an undocumented person, like you might, yeah, they might not do anything. They might not like run it and see, but um, yeah, if you were to like, go to jail for something, like 100%, they would run it. Like our county jail has two ICE officers, I believe, Mm -hmm. that are just like literally contract. Like Mm -hmm. this is something we don't have to have in our county jail. We literally do not have to have it. Mm -hmm. But the county wrote a contract with ICE Mm -hmm. to allow them to do that. And so it's, it's like yeah they could get arrested for something and then just like immediately deported mm-hmm. and it's just absolutely unfair and yeah, uh,
0: I now have a green card We're cool yes, let's but get like it. <laughs>
2: uh
0: yeah uh that's a a trauma that doesn't go away oh. um, and so that is something else that like in explaining these things to people whose privilege may not allow them to see immediately is like, yeah, it, police interaction doesn't mean the same thing for you. Um, And uh, last thought, uh, <laughs> the, how do you feel about the like race class distinction? I was talking to my brother about this this morning that like some problems are like really, just class distinctions, and we sort of divide ourselves by looking at it racially. And then there's other things that I was making the point of, like the the race distinction will still be there. Right. And I actually quoted uh, Wesley's theory by uh, Kendrick Lamar because that's cool. like that Wesley Snipes thing is the exact example of like doesn't matter how rich you are, you're still black.
1: Right, exactly. So for the uh, let's just talk about like the everyday community so here in the city um this area is i
0: I live in just not nichols
1: hills yeah this is just barely not distinctly
0: not (laughs) nichols hills
1: yeah but nichols hills is a lot of most it's a majority white neighborhood east side majority black west side Got a lot of Latinx community as well as the South side, mm-hmm. but the West side also has a lot of poor white people. So basically, on all the outskirts of Oklahoma City, you have these marginalized communities. Um, and they're the, th- the okay. <laughs> so segregation used to be, you know, purely race. Mm-hmm. And then as you know, that became not accepted (laughs) anymore, they, they made it more subtle and they sort of broadened it. So now, um, just all impoverished people are kind of lumped into the same, um, category. So if, if you're black and poor, you're going to have a hard time. If you're already poor, if you're just poor and white, you're going to have a hard time. But the thing is, is like people are more likely at least like big companies are more likely to trust and go with a poor white person than a poor black person. Mm -hmm. Just, just because Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's, it's, it's that simple. So while there are um, obvious differences in the way that um, black and brown communities are treated as opposed to white communities, they've now sort of deemed poor white people as undesirables and just lumped them together. So even if there's not a large black population, it's mostly a poor population. They're still going to pick that community over Nichols Hills to put the landfill, to put a recycling plant, to put, you know, any type of coal powered fire plant. So yeah, it's good old NIMBY. uh, It's, (laughs) it's what's the word? Unfortunate, Mm -hmm. but being aware of it, Helps us change the policies that allows those things to happen, so yeah, just keep having those open dialogue conversations mm-hmm. about this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and the more we talk about it and the more that we you know ignite a public outrage, then the more likely we are to see change mm-hmm. and lasting change at that
0: yeah i I think that in some ways, we in specific situations, we might like be looking at race too much. And in some situations we might be looking at class too much. And uh, one is just like applying enough critical thinking to be able to like decipher whether or not this is a race thing or a class thing. Or is,
1: No um, critical thinking. It's illegal in this state.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, nuance is dead. Uh, so we just don't do that anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like, If, yeah, a poor white person is talking about like, yeah, but my life is hard too. It's like, yes, it is. I'm not denying that.
1: Right. But it's your class, which can always change, Mm -hmm. but your race cannot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the like, all poor people are just temporarily uh, embarrassed millionaires. (laughs) Yeah,
1: temporarily embarrassed. (laughs) I like that.
0: (laughs) Um. And so, I mean, that's another great way that like corporations will get all of the poor people's money. Uh, (laughs) um, I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast before, but like uh, regarding art or like media is um, highbrow art is made by poor people for rich people to consume and then lowbrow art is made by rich people for poor people to consume precisely and uh it's just like a nice way of like looking at it to be like what kind of stuff are we making who is our market and uh
1: that reminds me i was at this event a few months ago and um it was this it was a conversation with a white woman who she she does podcasts and she's like, know your worth. Whatever you think you should charge, add thirty percent. And I was like, whoa! I was like, first of all, as a black person, you can't just do that because then they'll be like, no, I can go somewhere else and get it cheaper. Mm-hmm. So it's like, while you you do need to know your worth, and you definitely should. It's you shouldn't settle, but the reality is, is that you have to. Mm-hmm. So knowing your worth, um, doesn't always have to do with how much money you ask. It has to do with the boundaries that you set of what you're willing to do and what you're willing to not do for the price that you gave. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, I was like, that's so bold of you to say that, like add 30%. It was like, you think we could just do that and people would be okay. It's like, no, we're like, we're a media production company. We're giving people news. They're already, they already are not in the mindset of giving us money so to ask for more money than we normally would 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 definitely probably not blow over well but yeah we live off donations though so yeah well with that <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for doing this with me. Where can we find you and your things?
1: Let's see. Okay, what did I say last time? On Instagram, my personal account is Flora Curl, which is F-L-O-R-I-C-U-R-L. And then my business accounts on Twitter and Instagram are at TBT Anna.
0: Yeah. Uh, And you can support the Black Times. (laughs) And give them your money. And if you don't have money, then give them your shares. And uh, I mean, honestly, like your guys' coverage over the Julius Jones thing. Like, I'm glad it blew up and caught national attention.
1: Yeah, it was because, wild.
0: <laughs> because, I mean, it's, it's more things need to be said about these things. And these are things that are happening here. And we can all be more informed on these things. And it's great. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. If you guys want to know what's going on here, the Black Times OK on Twitter and Instagram. I think we have Facebook too, but I don't get on Facebook. So Facebook is dead. Facebook's dead. <laughs> Unless you're over forty. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again,
0: thank you so much. Uh, I'm Santiara Ramones.
1: I'm Anna Littlejohn.
0: And now here's Wakari Mashdaka by the Street Carnations.
3: I met you in some up
2: where the snow falls all around. Try tried to get to know you,
3: but I couldn't make a sound. Pick it up. couldn't speak the language, and you couldn't speak mine. In spite of all, we turned out fine. I met you in a moment. I was feeling so alone.
0: You can find everything that I do on my website, santiagoramones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can buy it on Bandcamp because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day every day for about a week. I'm working on an album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting Bindepth uh where is it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was on the podcast with my three things they shaped my life philosophy those three things are love never fails it's going to be okay i might be wrong